Hi, everybody. This is Pastor Tim from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire. This is our weekly podcast of the sermon from the prior Sunday. Normally at this time, I have invited everybody to join us for worship at 8, 30, and 11. Uh, but right now we're in the midst of the global pandemic, and so we are not having worship in our building at 8, 30, and 11. Instead, you can find us online doing virtual worship using Zoom. You can find the information for all of that on our website at www.htelc.com. You can also like us on Facebook. And uh, those are the two primary ways in which to find our links to have worship with us. So it doesn't matter where you are, as long as you have an internet connection, you can join us for worship. So thank you for listening. We hope that you find the sermon meaningful and purposeful, that it connects to your life and how you interact with the world. And most of all, it reveals God's infinite love for you and all of creation. We continue with the gospel reading. The gospel reading for this morning is John chapter 2, verse 13 through 22. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Thank you, Julie. I like this comic or meme that I have here. If anyone ever asks you, what would Jesus do? Remind them that flipping over tables and chasing people with a whip is within the realm of possibilities. (laughs) So I've always enjoyed that one. Uh, The sermon, again, I'm going to do from my desk. So I'm in kind of a rhythm with that right now. I hope that's okay with people. And we're going to talk about um, the context of John's community, how John's gospel differs from the other gospels, and how what it might have meant back then. Is it going to mean the same thing for us today, or do we need to look at it differently? So here we go. Hey, good morning, everybody. Three weeks in a row here at my desk. Uh, It seems to be a good experience for people so far. So for the time being, we're going to keep at it. What I like about this passage, a couple things. But first, it is easy to use as an example to show how the different authors of the Gospels utilize stories in different ways and inserted them in different places in their Gospel. You notice in the 
reading we have this from for this morning, it comes from the Gospel of John, and it occurs at the beginning of John's Gospel, the second chapter, actually. What happened right before this is really the first act of Jesus' public ministry, according to John, is we have the wedding at Cana, in which Jesus turns the water into wine. And right afterwards, now we get this passage where Jesus goes to the temple and flips tables over. We get the same story, though, in Matthew and Mark's gospel, not Luke, but in Matthew and Mark, but it doesn't occur at the beginning of the gospel. It occurs at the end of the gospel. And the purpose it serves there is it is after Jesus has arrived into Jerusalem, riding it on the donkey ride, Palm Sunday, everything's at an all-time high, a climax is coming, Jesus is going to the temple, and the people are expecting something great to occur, right? Jesus is going to take his rightful place and be the king that they want him to be. But instead, what happens? Jesus goes to the temple, sees what's going on, and flips over these tables, and he essentially really rips them a new one. And in Matthew and Mark, then, this act of Jesus is the beginning of the end. Because then they go on their way, uh, everybody else, and they conspire to kill Jesus. And they can't let him continue in this way. He's becoming too much of a threat to their power. And so then what happens shortly after? Uh, Jesus is betrayed. He's turned over to the authorities. And then he is crucified. So in Matthew and Mark, the story of Jesus turning over the tables comes at the end and acts as the straw that breaks the camel's back. In John's gospel, we have to know a bit more about John's community. So while all of this stuff, when I share with you, there's a bit of debate surrounding it, I believe there's still uh, mainly scholarly opinion or basic agreement on John's community, which is the latest of the Gospels written. It's written about 95 uh, AD. John's community is a small, ostracized community from the local synagogue. That because of them following Jesus, they have been kicked out and they're not welcome back then. So they're their own separate community that is been rejected. And so this passage here at the beginning of John's gospel, it almost serves as a reassurance story to them. That see, Jesus came to overturn the system that kicked you out. Jesus Jesus came to do away with what has rejected you. And so it's almost... Like, you made the right decision because Jesus supports you in it. That's what this story serves here in John's Gospel. Now, we have to be careful about that in John's Gospel because that's a theme throughout John's Gospel, uh, is it can be very harsh toward the Jewish people of the day, and it has been used frequently to support anti-Semitism. And so we can't use it that way, right? We're not trying to ostracize. We're not trying to blame one group of people for the death of Jesus because we all in some way are guilty of it. We, no one stood by Jesus at the time. So he can't say it's your fault. We all would have abandoned. But we, so I bring that up just so we are aware of how we use John or how it has been poorly used, horribly used poorly used uh, 
to cause great harm toward a group of people. But Jesus gets angry. Oftentimes we think about, you can't get angry, it's bad to get angry. And here we have an example of Jesus getting angry. In fact, you saw that passage at the beginning of uh, when we got to the time of the sermon, where if, what would, if you ever ask, what would Jesus do, right? Overturning tables and getting angry is an acceptable answer. I think there are things in our lives that should cause us anger, should evoke a strong emotional response within us. The question is, what are those things that should evoke that kind of a response? And so we need to look at what is it that is causing Jesus to be angry? And then what is going on in our world today that should cause us to be angry as well? So Jesus at the temple, what does he see that's going on there? He sees people of privilege and power that are taking advantage of their place of privilege and power and authority and using it to harm other people. Because this is what happened. People of the day, good Jewish people of the day, had to go to Jerusalem, had to go to the temple once a year and offer a sacrifice. But only certain sacrifices could have been used. So you might bring something from home that you want to offer, an animal, um, whatever it might be, but there had to be certain kinds of animals. Or there, even if that certain kind, it had to be raised in a certain way, and so only a small group of animals would be worthy for a sacrifice. So you couldn't just bring something from home many much of the time. You had to purchase your animal to sacrifice at the temple. And not only did you have to purchase your animal at the temple in order to sacrifice, but you had to purchase that animal with a specific type of money that was only acceptable at the temple, which you didn't use in other places. So you had to come, you had to exchange your money, and you had to purchase this other animal. Now, if you've ever traveled to another country, you know you have to exchange your money also when you go there. Now, if I exchange money and I have 10 US dollars and I want to get the equivalent of 10 US dollars in euros, it's actually going to cost me more than 10 US dollars, isn't it? Because it's an exchange rate. And maybe it cost me $12.50 to get $10 worth of euros. Well, the same thing was going on there, right? Again, people were taking advantage, people in power and privilege and authority, taking advantage of those who weren't as fortunate. And Jesus sees this going on and he is infuriated with it. What are you doing? This isn't what we are about. This isn't what this whole thing is for. And so what does Jesus do when he sees this going on? He flips over the tables and calls them out on it. So our question is, what should make us angry? Where do we see systems of people in privilege, position, and authority taking advantage of those things to the detriment of other people? I don't need to name those things that are going on. I think we can look around and see them ourselves. And as people of faith, we need to act on it. This is why I think it's okay to, in some sense, be political. Remember, there's a difference between being political and being partisan. Partisan means 
you identify with one political party. That's what partisan politics is. And that happens so frequently, almost all the time in our country, right? It's either a Republican idea or a Democrat idea. And if you're a Republican, you hate any Democratic idea. And if you're a Democrat, you hate any Republican kind of idea. That's partisan politics. Where churches and pastors and myself need to avoid is identifying our faith with one political party. There is not one party that is solely identified with our faith. And yet, because Jesus, what angers Jesus, are systems or people that take advantage of others to their own detriment, we are called to get angry about that as well, to call them out and work to change it. That's politics. Politics is how we order, arrange, and choose to govern ourselves. They are the rules that we agree upon. That is how we're going to treat each other. I think God cares about those things. You've heard me say that before. And as people of faith, we should be identifying that and working to correct those abuses and harms that are going on in the world. So that's one thing that angers God. Now, unfortunately, what the church is known for, they see Jesus getting angry, they see Jesus pointing out others, and then they think the role of the church then is to simply do that all the time, specifically not to worry about those larger systems that are happening, but the church is known more for pointing out the flaws of individuals. And let me make you feel guilty about this. Or let me condemn those who aren't part of the church, who aren't Christian, who aren't whatever it might be. What we should be doing at the same time as looking and calling out those systems of harm is looking, turning inward. How do I participate? How do I perpetuate? Where do I need to repent from? Part of our prayer shouldn't just be, Lord, help me turn over the tables of systems of oppression. It should be, Lord, turn over the tables in my own life that are oppressive. Help me do the hard work that needs to be done. And that's really hard. And that's what Lent is about, doing the hard work of repenting, doing the hard work of acknowledging, doing the hard work of, Lord, turn over the tables in my life that need to be turned over. The hope, though, is when our tables are turned over, there's freedom in it. There's joy in it. That maybe we didn't even realize it, but oh my gosh, now that it's occurred, I feel like this weight has been lifted off of us. You know, have you ever gone through and for whatever reason you've cleaned a room and you didn't think it needed to be done, but you started going and you picked up one thing and then you picked up another and then you picked up another and then you picked up another. And next thing you know, you have this whole pile of garbage that needs to be taken out on the curb and you walk back into your house and you see this room that... It's almost like you never saw it before. It, it strikes you in a new way and you're like, oh my gosh, this feels so good. I didn't realize how cluttered it had become. In my opinion, when we do that work in our own lives, that is the feeling 
that we receive from it. We maybe didn't even realize how cluttered it had been, but once we start clearing out, oh my gosh, is there freedom and relief and joy in that? That's the good news. That's the work God has called us to do. To call out systems in the world that are harming, that are oppressive, that are literally enslaving people, right? And to do that work within ourselves. And then to live in the freedom that comes with it. May you enjoy and see and be that freedom today and every day that is to come. Amen.